Welcome to another episode of the Replant Bootcamp Podcast. The Boots on the Ground podcast for replanters by replanters with your host, Bob Bickford and Jimbo Stewart. Here in the trenches with you doing the gritty and glorious work of replanting dying churches. This podcast is sponsored by 180 Digital, the church website and branding partner you need to help move your church forward. Here we go. Episode 51 of the Replant Bootcamp. I was looking at it, Bob. That means it was actually uh, right around a year ago that we launched episode zero of the replant bootcamp a resource for replanters just mainly us chatting and talking and learning about our mistakes and sharing our mistakes so that others can not touch the hot stove like us right don't do what we did yeah that's the whole premise of this whole thing is learn from the mistakes we make along the way you know it's been a really good 50 plus episodes now and one of the awesome things last week when we were in Kansas City, we got to meet a couple of listeners, the local listeners, and our good friend Johnny Upchurch was there who gave us a question. And one of the things that was really awesome, just a lot of the young guys that are replanting or about to explore replanting have been listening to the podcast over some months that we've been doing this. And they themselves have said it's been really helpful and a lot of fun and they've laughed along the way and they've learned along the way. So I think we've met that objective and just really thankful for all our listeners and everybody participating. Hey, today I'm excited. We get to go in the Wayback Machine back to near the very beginning of my ministry. Not the very first pastor I served on, but a church I served at in Southeast Mississippi. Dr. Tony Marita kind of came in as I was on my way out and there was a a good several months there, almost a year where I got to serve under him. And, and then when we moved to new Orleans, he and his wife, Kimberly were the only people we knew in the city of new Orleans. And we would go and bother them at their house on campus every once in a while, just because we didn't know anybody else. But Tony is the pastor of Imago day. Did I pronounce that the way you guys pronounce that? Yeah, that's correct. Jimbo. Okay, because I know different people say it different ways, Dei, or I didn't know how hipsterish you got with it. But And then you're the Dean of Grimke Seminary and the Director of Theological Training for Acts 29, five kids, all adopted. And most importantly, the most important thing on your resume is the several months that you got to lead me in Southeast Mississippi. Yeah, it's that and the fact that I set the record for walks at my college, 71 walks in four years. <laughs> So where, what college was that? It's called University of the Cumberlands in Kentucky. It's an NAIA school. Someone passed my record up, but I got hit by the pitch at least half of those walks. I crowded and uh, took a lot in the shoulder. Yeah, it was good training for pastoral ministry. You crowd the plate a lot, just get up there real close, make the pitcher mad. Yeah, Greg Biggio style. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. I think replanters can empathize with that just in pastoral ministry in general. You're going to get... Taking, taking those hits a, a lot. So let me ask you, Tony, on the spot here, from your time in South Mississippi, what's maybe one or two of your favorite memories from that season of ministry? That's always the people, man. Everywhere you go, for me, it's about people. And uh, some of the greatest people I've ever met live in South Mississippi. In fact, we brought seven of them here to plan Imago Day. And, and others have trickled up through the years as well who are connected to those individuals. So we, we had a great time. The food in New Orleans, South Mississippi, I really miss, but I lost a lot of weight when I moved. So there's, there's a positive to that. It was a great experience. People were very gracious to me. I was uh, a young 
pastors trying to lead a big church and uh, there was a big staff and they were already in place and I was the new guy and learned a lot and really grateful for my time there. So I worked at the East Campus with Youth and College and you led them through a healthy and amicable relaunching, replanting of that and it's now Hardy Street Baptist Church. Yeah, I think that was the right move. I think that was a healthy move. I felt like that's what people wanted as well. So I've never done anything like that since. So that was, uh, it was a learning experience for sure. Yeah, I can resonate on the food thing. One of the most suffering moments of my entire ministry career was when I moved to Jacksonville, Florida. And one of the first articles I read about Jacksonville, Florida was listing the 50 largest cities in America, ranked one to 50 on food. And to no surprise, New Orleans got number one out of the 50 largest cities in America, and Jacksonville got number 50. And I, I immediately questioned my calling to the city of Jacksonville and have desperately missed New Orleans, Southeast Mississippi, Gulf Coast cuisine, and go back as often as I can. It's about sacrifices, isn't it? Uh, the Lord has never allowed me to be in a city where there's a Major League Baseball team. Oh, and- I think that's his kindness, uh, keep me from idolatry. Yeah, yeah. You, you would probably spend a lot of time there if you did. Yeah. Well, good. Tony, we're glad to have you. You cranked out a book, from what I can tell in the introduction, pretty quickly. Because you talk about COVID in the introduction, and I, I definitely think it's a needed topic to be discussed right now. Christ-centered conflict resolution. Tell us just a little bit real quick how this book came about. Yeah, you're right. I wrote it in about three weeks. I was writing another book on the church, which I've now finished for the Good Book Company. And Lifeway, B&H, said, hey, this is a time in which closer proximity, family, staying at home has created a lot of conflict. It's probably been good for some relationships, but it's also been a negative and it's created a lot of conflict. And for others, we don't want a big book. We want something that's readable. We want a pastor to write it. So imagine a couple comes into your office and their kids are driving them bananas or the spouse is driving them, whatever. Well, you've got family conflict, you've got neighbor conflict. Walk us through some of the key passages and apply them to those situations, just like you would as a pastor. So the book is, the way I, I think about it is if I were a pastor, I would have a stack of them on hand, not because it's my book, but I'm just telling you how I'm working through it. And if I've got somebody in conflict, uh, this is not the end all, what I've written, but it would be a great little resource. It's something that they could read. They could have an understanding of some of the key passages. And I'm really pressing the Christ-centered part. So it's about conflict, but it's really about our hearts, our affection. And when we're adoring him, we want to follow him. We submit to his leadership. We submit to what his word says about reconciliation and forgiveness and these kinds of things. As one writer says, conflict is not so much about skills as it is sin. And so dealing with the uncomfortable parts of conflict that I need to look at my own life first before I point out the weaknesses in others, it's that kind of thing that I'm, I'm trying to try to accomplish in this book. There's a classic book called The Peacemaker that has been used for years by Ken Sandy. This is the Merida version of Ken Sandy, much shorter and I try to get really straight to some of the key points about this particular issue. As our pastor for counseling said when we were writing it, when you're in a conflict, you don't want a big book and uh, you don't want a lot of steps. And so I tried, there are some steps, but I try to avoid a very complicated mathematical approach to conflict and deal with some of the real key issues. 
when we are in conflict, really what's taking place? What is the root of conflict that we uh, need to understand? So I think there are several, every case is different, obviously. Sometimes you are the victim of abuse, whether that's like serious abuse or you're just not being treated properly, rightly. Oftentimes though, conflict, as James teaches us in James 4, when he says, he asks the question, why do we have quarrels and fights among us? It's because our passions are at war within us. And the first chapter of the book is about how cravings, in the words of David Pallison, underlie conflicts. All right? And we know this just experientially. If I don't get what I want, I will take it out on people. And these are not always sinful cravings. They, they might be, but sometimes it's just an inordinate desire for a good thing that has been disturbed or disrupted. Like you might desire comfort and rest. That's a good thing. And when you don't get it because of your kid's behavior, it can really cause you to lash out improperly and in anger or whatever. The desire for food is a good thing. The desire for a vacation. And then you get on that vacation and it's sanctification through vacation. It's not, it's not very restful at all. It's people at war with each other because their passions are at war within them. And I think that's one of the most difficult things for people to admit and do is to actually do self-examination before I point out the flaws in others. As Jesus talked about the log in our eye before we look at the speck in someone else's. And it might very well be they are the primary reason for the conflict, but we should at least do this soul searching because at the end of the day, one of the things that it's a hard truth to embrace, but it's an important one, I think, is that conflict is an opportunity for growth. And so doing that work of self-examination, the, the only thing I have to lose is the sin that I see there and repent of. It's blessed riddance to that. <laughs> and it might be very little, but you're at least doing it. And in doing the work of reconciliation or having an awkward conversation with someone that you're at odds with, that's an opportunity for you to grow. That's an opportunity for them to grow. And so we don't always have to see conflict as this crushing thing to be avoided. We certainly don't delight in it. We're not seeking conflicts, but how we resolve them and the importance of resolving them is really vital for our spiritual growth. And I think most people who've been Christians for a long time can look back and see various conflicts that they've had that's actually turned out to be something that's positive. And so we don't always get the resolution that we're looking for in conflicts. That's why Romans 12 is important, where Paul says, as far as it depends on you, if possible, live at peace with everyone. You know, there's a little exception there of it may not be possible, but as far as it depends on you, you seek to live peaceably with, with everyone. Yeah, I appreciate how Paul gives, I quote that verse all the time to people whenever they're dealing with conflict, because Paul gives you two outs there, if possible, and so far as it depends on you. You do your part, and then if it's possible, then be at peace, but sometimes that's not going to happen. Our audience is all potential replanters, guys considering replanting dying churches, or guys who are replanting or revitalizing struggling churches in almost a hundred percent of the time when you walk into a dying church, a struggling church, you're walking already into tension and conflict. And I think right now in this season we're at, not just the close proximity that COVID has given us with the racial tension, the political tension, the mask versus no mask, and all the I, I every pastor I talk to right now feels absolutely exhausted 
with the constant tension from about a thousand different angles. And so for just a brief moment, give us maybe pointing to the gospel where we have hope in that Christ-centered emphasis as a pastor, in, even in the midst of, it seems like, 5,000 angles of tension right now. Yeah, you're right. It's a hard time to be a pastor, man. Uh, <laughs> it's a really hard time. Yeah. You know, what I've tried to say to our church is a couple of things. One, on all these issues, my aim is to simply be a biblical expositor. Okay, so when you hear something that might not be in alignment with your political biases, know that I have zero political agenda. If I'm talking about a loving neighbor or doing justice, I am not a Marxist. I'm not on a political side teaching the Bible, okay? <laughs> if, if I talk about personal responsibility, if I talk about being an entrepreneur and creating business, and I'm not necessarily a Republican, I'm not on this other band. I'm, my one aim as your pastor is to teach the Bible and to care for you. I also have told them, if I make statements or if I seem sympathetic to particular causes, not causes, but individuals in our church who might align with certain causes, I'm not necessarily in that cause. So don't do this guilt by association. What I am trying to do is care for people who are hurting in my church. And even if you think they shouldn't be hurting, the reality is they are hurting. And my job is not to first and foremost go in and try to clarify all these things in their minds. And, and here, to, to be frank, I'm speaking about a good number of our African-American members who have been really bothered by the events of this year. And we've reached out and tried to serve and have meetings. And I've made some statements that's not to say that I'm in alignment with everything that uh, is communicated on the news. What I have, though, is a responsibility to shepherd our people where they're at and to lead them into Christ-likeness. The same would be true for someone who's dealing with some other issue and they're hurting because of an experience, and I just want to apply the gospel to their hurt. That's all I want to do. So I think it's been important to kind of state what you can expect from me and what my motives are. And at the end of the day, I just keep coming back to the Bible. So I want to use Bible language and not language used in the media. I want to stay thoroughly biblical in, in vocabulary so that hopefully people will realize that's all I want to do. Now, in saying all of that, you're going to get hit on both sides as a pastor. <laughs> but that's just part of it, man. This is what we signed up for. So I, I also want to say there's no room for self-pity in this vocation that we have. We're always going to be at some level provoking people and stirring them up, or not intentionally, but just like the, the Bible and God's Spirit will do that. I think one of the things when it comes to conflict, racial conflict or uh, conflict in the home, putting everything in the grand narrative is really important. So we have creation. We're in harmony with God and one another. We have the fall. And in Genesis 3, there's the promise of conflict between man and woman. The very next chapter, we see family conflict as one brother kills the next. So an obvious consequence of sin is conflict. But also right in the middle of that conflict passage in Genesis 3 is the promise of the Redeemer that's going to crush the head of the serpent. And we're promised that Redeemer, we're anticipating him through the Old Testament. He arrives in the incarnation. Paul makes that great statement in Romans 16 that the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. I think picking up on the Genesis 3 language. So while because of Christ and his coming, we have reconciliation to God and one another 
and we have the hope of one day having no more conflict. And that's what we see at the end of the Bible as conflict is gone. There's no more evil. We don't have to lock our doors. We're not at each other's throats. It's peace. It's total shalom. That's where all history's headed. And that's a beautiful thing. And so I, I keep telling our congregation, look, the new creation, total shalom, our blessed hope is not returning to normal. It's the eschaton, right? Our blessed hope is not in who wins the election. It's Jesus Christ coming and making all things new. And I just think as you put things in the grand narrative, hopefully for some people, all these other things will be put in their proper perspective. And because if you look at all of history, COVID is going to be a little blip on the historical map. And so many of the things that we disagree about, like a mask, is going to seem so trivial and so silly in light of eternal glory. So I think part of our job is to be biblical, to teach the Bible, and to try to put all of these things within their proper narrative. And that's a great advantage we have as Christian pastors who believe the Bible, right? We, we have this narrative, and it's a great time to be applying it. Tony, one of the, the key points you made is the right proclamation of God's Word helps frame the theological understanding for the body of how we're going to do conflict, what God has to say about it, how it fits into the grand scheme and the grand narrative. There are sometimes though that the preaching part of it doesn't address conflict that happens between individuals, right? So they have to go face to face. They have to get personal with one another. What are some of the things that you've put in the book that help people understand when it comes down to me actually having a conversation with somebody one-on-one and dealing with conflict? What do you provide for us in terms of helpful teaching and and information? Yeah, it's a great question. So I think, one, I'm trying to highlight the the significance of being a peacemaker. It's it's extremely strange in these days to be one. And by the way, I should mention, we wrote the book before all the racial tensions and not thinking about a political election. So it just brought out more relevance (laughs) as the months went on. Man, this is a good book. Uh, We need this book. So I'm looking at Jesus saying, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be the sons of God. Like he says, one of the ways, primary ways we reflect his character is by being a peacemaker. And that is significant. But I, growing up, I just didn't hear a lot of sermons on peacemaking, on the importance of being a peacemaker. It, it of course, reflects the work of Jesus on the cross. It reflects what he came to do to unite Jew and Gentile, right? So this is a big deal. So part of the book is just me saying, hey, doing the work of peacemaking is really important to seek peace and pursue it as the scripture teaches us. Secondly, in James 3, several commentators point out that James, in that section on being a peacemaker, he calls it wisdom from above versus wisdom from below. He gives the qualities of a peacemaker, and they they have pointed out that he's basically taking his half-brother Jesus's beatitude and teasing it out, because Jesus doesn't really tease it out with the exception of saying certain things about forgiveness, leaving your gift at the altar, going to reconcile. So in that sense, he does. But what does it mean to be a peacemaker? Uh, So I devote a chapter to that on traits like gentleness, being open to reason, the things that James lists, that it it produces a harvest of righteousness. And then at the end of the book, I I look at Yodia and Syntyche in Philippians, which is also an encouraging thing, especially for guys in replanting in situations where you've got a lot of conflict, perhaps. Even in a church that Paul loved, that he called his joy and crown. And he said that about the church in Philippians 4.1. In the very next few verses, he talks about conflict 
in this church, which was his joy and crown, between these uh, two ladies, Yodi and Syntyche. And he urges this unnamed person to be a mediator between them so that they would agree in the Lord. And he says, basically, that they should be able to be united because their names are in the book of life. They actually belong to the kingdom, so they should be together. So I take that, and then I work through a little five M's of a peacemaker that hopefully will be helpful for people. The first M is me first. So whenever I'm in a conflict, I need to examine my own life. By the way, I would use this if I were mediating a conflict, okay? Second is minor. Should this offense be overlooked? And that's a really important one because sometimes we just shouldn't be in conflict, okay? Like for me on the math situation, I'm going to overlook this. Like some of these things are weaker brother, stronger brother, Christian liberty. People just need to be taught some of this stuff. It's prefer- it's preferences. It's not sin issues. Minor. The very first conflict mediation I had to do when I started at this church was actually between two ladies arguing over how to water the peace lilies in our sanctuary. And so there was so many peace lilies in our sanctuary because every funeral they would do uh, give a big peace lily to the family. And they would say, if you don't want to take this home, then you can leave it, donate to the church. Everybody donated to the church. And so it was just a jungle of peace lilies all over the sanctuary stage and the sanctuary itself. And so they actually scheduled a conflict mediation meeting. And it, it might be the most heated conflict I've had to mediate was how the war over the peace lilies. And so I, I appreciate that question of, is it a minor offense or a major offense? I wish I'd have known that story, Jimbo. <laughs> that would have went in the book. That is a classic <laughs> illustration. Yeah, yeah, many things need to be overlooked. And again, you're thinking about this in terms of family as well. Like this is hard, but it, we got to teach it to our kids. They're often at each other's throats over minor things. Uh, major, does this offense require a process of restoration? So usually these major conflicts are going to take some time. Material is the fourth M. Does this require restitution of, of property or rights or whatever? So your neighbor's tree falls on your fence. You need more than an apology, like he, he should pay for it, you think. This is Zacchaeus. He becomes a follower of Jesus, and he said, I want to pay back fourfold uh, all that, that I owe. I'm not just going to say I'm sorry, guys, but I'm actually going to try to make things right uh, materially. And then the fifth M is mediation. And I think this is maybe most helpful to the question itself is, do I need someone to help mediate this conflict? It could be a pastor, it could be a friend. I'm thinking in terms of church, family. I'm not primarily thinking civil issues out there in the courts, but do I need a helper? And I think the two dangers that historically we've thought about with conflict on the ways you don't want to go are avoiding conflict or attacking in conflict. And my experience in the South, this is just a generalization, there are exceptions to this, has been the passive aggressive, well, you don't deal with it. And then there's a lot of other stuff that goes on that's not good. And my experience in the North has been more attack. You just raise your voice louder whenever there's a conflict. And we really want to deal with it. We want to work through it. And that can be very uncomfortable. But I would say to anybody in a replant revitalization effort, established church. You've got to learn to have awkward conversations with people. You don't want these conversations. I don't want them, but I've just found that the Lord shows up, man, in some of these meetings that you dread going into. And I think that's because he honors this work. Like he, he cares about our relational harmony. 
And the goal is not just to have the absence of strife, but to have the presence of harmony and be united together. And those are some of the things that people could pick up on in the book. Tony, I appreciate you taking the time to meet with us, man. I think this is going to be a good resource. It's a quick, easy read, and it's not super expensive on Amazon. You can grab this and read this, and it, it can be a good resource, Tony said, to hand out to people who are dealing with conflict as a way to teach you just some basics of conflict mediation and just a real quick look at it. Appreciate you, Tony. Appreciate you guys. Appreciate this podcast, man. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Replant Bootcamp Podcast, a resource for replanters by replanters. If you enjoyed this episode or found it to be helpful for you and your ministry, please help us get the word out by subscribing, sharing, and leaving us a review on your favorite podcast listening platform. This podcast is sponsored by 180 Digital. 180 Digital is a team of design, development, and marketing experts that love working with churches big and small. Check out 180.church, O-N-E-E-I-G-H-T-Y.church to learn more about how 180 can help your church move forward.